Welcome in to another episode of Tyler's World, the podcast. I'm Tyler Damberg alongside Andrew St. John, and we've got a great interview coming up in a little bit. We had on Tom Withers, the acclaimed sports writer for the Associated Press here in Cleveland, Ohio. And for those who have not read his work or have seen him anywhere, well, you got to do so because he's one of the best in the business. So thanks to Tom for joining us. But for right now, we've got actually some stuff to talk about, believe it or not, like live sports-wise. And first off, what were your thoughts of the 2v2, the match 2 between Peyton Manning and Tiger and and Phil and Tom Brady? I don't know. I thought it was kind of a rough rough watch at times. I don't, I don't know why people are surprised that Tom Brady's not great at golf. He's been kind of busy the past 12 years. Yeah, like, it's, it's too bad. So I I don't know I I thought it, it was okay I wish they talked more smack like they they were kind of teasing like they were just it was just gonna be them talking smack the entire time but they, it never really turned into that I think they were probably informed or, or you know maybe suggested to do that because well hey you gotta give some you gotta give some of the viewers a treat and I think that's what a lot of people anticipated they wanted that smack talk between break. Excuse me, between Brady and Peyton Manning, and then between Tiger and Phil, like we saw, because the match, the match one was so successful, and that was pay per view, and still they made absolutely millions on that game. Now this one on TNT, which a lot better and free, but I think we did get that smack talk, and I I thought the the presentation was great. Brian Anderson and the whole crew did a great job. That Ernie Johnson uh, opener. I thought that was I thought that was great. Uh, very, very personal, and a lot of I know a lot of Twitter enjoyed enjoyed EJ's comments. So I know that for a fact. But I thought it was okay. We we saw live sports, and then we saw we saw Bundesliga, and they're doing the they're doing the no fans thing, and they're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well, especially on using the international rights on television, and that's going to be one thing that really funds uh, really funds the team. Now, they have ownership that's a lot different than the sports in the United States, but, but still, it's good to see, especially with the rivalry between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. So I know you're not a soccer guy, but you did watch a little bit. Can you tell me some of your thoughts on this, this no-fan soccer? Because I loved it. I'm a soccer guy sometimes. I thought the crowd noise was stupid. I don't think that they should have fake crowd noise. I think they should. I think it better illustrates what is actually going on if they just leave the crowd empty. Right. Yeah, I, I guess so. It just it, it just doesn't seem natural. That's that's what you're saying. When when you hear the crowd noise, but you can see with different camera angles some of the people in the stands or some of the you know some of just the vacancies and the absences in all of the seats. When when they don't have team officials or employees sitting there, because there are some, but but yeah, it's it was very odd to to hear the crowd noise at times. But I thought the the whole like like the match too. The presentation was great. I had no problem with anything that they did, and it's sports. Sports are back, and that's just kind of the the, the whole aspect of it. The the KBO still doing really well, and and I like. The fact that they have ESPN broadcasters doing it from their homes. And I was telling a lot of people this. I didn't know how that was going to go. But you can't have ESPN baseball in Korean. And so I thought that I thought that 
it's actually worked out for ESPN because they've got Carl Ravitch and Boog Skiambi doing that. But all in all, loved uh, I loved uh, Der Classiker or Der Classiket. I I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Der Classicar. Something like Dirk Commissar, I, I don't even know. But I thought that was great. Thought KBO's been great. The match been great. Now, in terms of, let's get your thoughts. In terms of getting back the NBA, they've talked about the plan with Orlando. That's gained some more acclaim over the weekend. The NHL at 4.30 with the press conference. They adopted that 2014 playoff if the season resumes. Do you like that idea, especially? And then Major League Baseball with the... Uh, with what could be a big week with some of the financial plans put in proposal. Now, the first one was rejected. Do you favor some of the prorated salaries? Because that's going to be the issue. So first, let's start with the NHL. Second, let's get your thoughts with Major League Baseball. The NHL never specified where the games are going to be played at, though. See, I know they talked about having it in, like, North Dakota. Like, they, just, like, basically everyone goes to North Dakota and play games there. So they never specified if they'll be playing that on home ice or not. Right. I, I'm looking up right now. They don't – They. so the NHL was seeking four different hubs, but logistics and a refocusing on the 24-team conference format narrowed that to two. Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Vegas, L.A., Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver – are being considered, and the hubs would have secure arenas, hotels, and practice facilities, and with aggressive COVID nineteen testing and protocols. Okay. So, actually, they if they have it in Columbus, they could probably just use dorms, or, right? Or you know what they, they use? Just put everyone up in dorms. Nor or what they use? They use the Hyatt, the the, the yeah. new shout shout out uh, shout out Mr. Stewart there at at John Stewart, the GM of the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Columbus. But but really though. Um, it is, I, I will say that's probably one of the better places to do it. I've said Columbus from the start. Oh, you could see Vegas. Vegas would be a good idea. If they want to, uh, if they maybe want to include the, the gambling too. <laughs> uh, Vegas just has a lot of empty hotels. I would assume right now they can put people up and they could have the teams in different hotels if they wanted to. They could have one, the. Eastern in one hotel and the Western in another, or they have like different opponents, different hotels. I don't, I don't see why not. I don't have a problem with that. I, I can. The issue is, I, I feel like it would take too long if they have it in one area. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I think they're going to have to split it up because twenty-four teams in five-game series is going to be a long time. You know what I think? They, I think they're going to, I think they're going to use a lot, and they're going to implement a lot of ideas that descend and are derived from high school sports because that's I it's silly but high school hockey with uh with conference and and playoff tournaments they have they have games going on every day they can fit in about 10 to 12 in a on a Saturday or something so when you give them all weekdays I think that they can achieve something to be possible, but we'll see. Now, now something I did see uh, on the e the ESPN report confirmed by the NHL, they haven't really put in a place, but they're just considering one or to two hubs. But that's I I think Andrew, that's because they had settled, for, they had ex extended the playoffs to twenty four in their proposal. So I think that was 
getting all that was probably the big the big idea. Now that's gonna really suck for that's really gonna suck for teams like my Red Wings and and te- you know that's not being a part of the twenty four team playoff. I mean it's gonna suck, rightfully so. If you can't make the twenty four, then it's obvious you had no, you had a horrible season. But but dang, I mean. To, could you imagine to be out of that 2014 playoff? That's got to absolutely suck. Yeah, well, hey, you suck even worse than if you can't make a 2014 playoff. Exactly. Uh, Columbus is a nine seed, I think, in the proposed playoff. There you go. So, go Jackets. Uh, also, for, for Major League Baseball, I know there's a lot of different things going on because this is the game with by far the highest salaries, and I think that's an issue when you're playing a full season now, NBA and NHL, all these organizations, they have a lot of revenue, almost in its entirety, for a lot of the teams that just missed out on a couple games. So MLB's in a different different hole. They're, it's going to be interesting how they divide the payroll between all the teams. Small market teams might benefit. High market teams are going to maybe struggle if, if they have to divvy that up, or if they can't divvy it up, small market teams are going to struggle. Nonetheless... There are some potential salary cuts in MLB's plan. They're going to have to do it some way. But, man, there's just a lot, a lot is riding on this week between the Players Union and Major League Baseball. So uh, I know a lot of people, There, there's full prorated, there's proposal, there's the salaries and the proposal, and there's a big difference between between the two. I mean, they lowballed them today. They really did. So I think that the players are, are really mad. I think they maybe lowballed them a little too much. They have a week of negotiations now yeah. to get ready, and it's been and they're hoping that they'll meet them up in the middle. I guess. Yeah, I think it might be like it's kind of like a Michael Scott negotiation. If you just, if you just, it's it's like even filibuster. If you like what Michael Scott did in the negotiation with Daryl, he just keep stalling and stalling and stalling and they keep discussing things and all in all when it comes down to it the things change and while it was supporting the players while while the players wouldn't come to their senses things switch around and they might go in the MLB's way that happened with the same thing with for those who love the office that same thing with uh, Michael Scott and Daryl Philbin because Daryl wanted the raise Michael wouldn't give it to him just because of money issues with the company, and then they turned things around because Michael wasn't getting paid enough for wearing a lady suit. So I guess that's just the, if there's any way we can put that in simpler terms, I think that's going to be the way to go. And maybe, hopefully, we don't know what's going on in the negotiation system, but hopefully a deal can be met this week or next week. I think Jeff Passon made a great point that they cannot go on past early June, which I don't think they will. I don't think they, I think they'll come to something by the end of May, but if they can't get anything by mid-June, then it's going to be 82 games or bust. I think it's it's. I, I don't think they should play the full season any, anyways. No. but I but I'm saying they they're going to try and get to maybe a hundred, a hundred plus. Now it probably yeah. won't be within the confines of 162, but it could still be there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think they they'll reach an agreement. I think it's going to be tough, but I think they'll reach an agreement. It, it'll it'll be gritty, that's for sure, but. I think there will be a way found in all this mess. So, let's go into our interview. Tom Withers of the Associated Press. We're, he's weighing in on 
everything from his covering of the Olympics and the Dream Team in 1992, his techniques, his tactics as a sports writer for many decades in the business. He's one of the best seasoned professionals in the Cleveland area and beyond. And uh, he's talk we're talking a little bit of some sports as well and what he's been doing to stay busy during the quarantine and the coronavirus outbreak. So here he is, Tom Withers. So now we have on another special guest. He writes for the Associated Press. He is a media veteran, the wonderful Tom Withers. Thank you so much for joining us on what should be an exciting episode. So thanks for coming on. You're quite welcome. Good to see you guys. So so diving right into diving right into things, what are you doing right now? I just I just saw during this quarantine you got your first haircut. Looks great. But well <laughs> but first off, what was that like? And then other than that, uh, what have you been doing to to keep busy during uh, the coronavirus outbreak? Well, I'm sure like you guys and everybody else out there, I've been missing sports badly. So um, it's good to, to talk to people and to talk sports and uh, to try to get back into some sense of normalcy. Um, I don't have to tell you guys, this has been very difficult and strange and exhausting and exhilarating and everything all at once. So I've uh, just been, you know, while there's no sports games going on right now, there's still news. And um, at, at the heart of my job, I am a newsman. So I do, I do have to keep track of whatever's going on with the three major teams here in Cleveland. And as we start to get closer to potentially, you know, camps reopening and games being played, there's still plenty to cover. So it's not like I've been home twiddling my thumbs the entire time. So what have you I, been, what, what have you been able uh, to accomplish since I don't, I don't remember what was the last game you covered and what have you been able to accomplish since then? Just how has that changed your, your style of writing during this period? Yeah. So the last thing I was at um, officially was the mid American conference tournament. And we were all set for the tip off of the, the first game of the quarterfinals on that fateful Thursday, when we found out in mid March that everything was being shut down. So since then I've just been kind of, you know, monitoring the three major teams that I cover and obviously the Mac as well and Akron and Kent state and Cleveland state and whatever might be going on with them. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, the Indians and the Cavs and the Browns have been able to put zoom calls together. So we've been in touch with, with Terry Francona and JB Bickerstaff. And we've heard from Kevin Stefanski, because as you guys know, the NFL has been going full bore, you know, as business as usual, only because there's no games to play. So we've still had, free agency and we had the draft and now we're probably ramping up for the opening of training camp at some point. So, you know, like I said earlier, there's still been plenty of news for me to cover. Um, I've also been trying to take a little bit of ahead, unfortunately over the last couple of years, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I had accrued like 85 vacation days. So my bosses wanted me to chip into that a little bit. So I've taken a couple of days here and there, which has been good. The problem there is that until the last couple of days, the weather's been so bad, you can't even get outside or anything. So, I, you know, much like everybody else around here, I was glad to see the warm weather show up this past weekend. Now, with the, the lack of news going on right now, do you find yourself, uh, like, reaching for more stories? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily reaching, but, you know, just trying to explore different avenues to tell a story, right? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened you know, socially and culturally, not even related to sports that we're all monitoring now, right? So um, as an example, from the, from a sports standpoint, you know, there's been a rise in bicycle sales, which is a story that I've been pursuing. 
you know, people are getting out and about. People are dragging that bike that's been sitting in the back of the garage, gathering dust for years and taking it to the bike shop. So bike shops have seen a rise in sales. And there's been all kinds of those types of stories that, you know, the AP and other media outlets, <clears throat> excuse me, have been tracking only because this is all new, right? There, we're, we're finding out new things about the way we live on a, on a day-to-day basis. So there's no shortage of stories out there. Believe me, everybody's got their own particular story about the pandemic that they want to tell. So you cover the three major sports, for those who don't know, in Cleveland and the, the Browns and the Indians and the Cavaliers. And you're pretty much, for, for a lot of the year, you're pretty much out and about. And you can hop <laughs> from days on end. You could be, you could be at the key, or excuse me, you could be at Rock, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and you can go across the street and you, <laughs> you're over at Progressive Field. So what's this transition been like where you are very active during this time and transitioning to being at home, but you're pr- still producing the workload like you and, and exploring different stories like the, yeah. the bicycle sales? You're right, Tyler. Um, you know, those are my three offices and there are days where, like you mentioned, I've been at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse progressive field and and Brown's headquarters in Berea in the same 24 hour period. So that has been a little bit different. And, um, you know, I've been just kind of camped out here in my office, kind of keeping track of things from afar. So, you know, when you mentioned it earlier, I think it's been good for, for all of us over the last week or so, just to be able to, to get back out and, and interact again socially. Right. I mean, it's, we are all social beings and it's been, it's been difficult to not, to not see friends and see family and, and shake hands and high five people and say hello. So um, from that standpoint, it has been different. But you know, the, the other good thing about this, guys, as you know, is in this day of day and age of the, the technolo- technological advances that we have, we are fortunate enough that we can be able to sit at home and have a Zoom call or or keep track of things from afar. So you know, while it's handicapped me from the standpoint of of access to the teams, um, not much has really changed, to be quite honest. Do you find it like different to do press conferences over like Zoom as opposed to <laughs> in person like ones? Yeah. Like, is the answers different because like they're more comfortable at like their houses as opposed to yeah? On the podium? So that's an interesting question, Andrew. There's been um, we've had good and bad Zoom calls along those lines. <laughs> right? We've had people that have been you know very comfortable and very open, and other people that can't wait to get off. I mean, they're like counting down the minutes to okay. I mean, one more question. I'm out of here. You can tell just by the way. Uh, the media relations person from that given team might be handling the situation. So yeah, it's been interesting. I think we've all gotten a little bit better at this, right? As time has gone on, I think, uh, you know, early on, we weren't sure if we were getting too close to the camera or we were too far away and, and how is the lighting and things like that. So I think what's going to be interesting is how this changes the way we do our jobs, especially as sports writers. I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly worked now that, listen, I would never give up going to First Energy Stadium or to Progressive Field, or to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse to be able to cover a game because my job is to be the conduit for the sports fan, right? I'm the person that's there on site, behind the scenes, chronicling what's happening. I'll never want to give that up. But as far as the other like day-to-day machinations of my job, you know, like you mentioned, whether it's a press conference or, or monitoring training camp from a distance, this is all very doable now, and it's just going to be interesting to see as we go forward how much of what we've done the last couple of months becomes the norm. And and please, uh, it, just out of curiosity, 
How did those? How did some of the Zoom press conferences go? I know you mentioned that you know a lot of people were getting used to it, but were there some got some media members, mute, you know, unmuting and then talking over each other or interrupting accidentally? It just sounds like it's in unison, but it's just different different words and all that. And yeah, I mean, we've had sure. There's been a couple of moments here and there that, um, and I won't I won't embarrass anybody, but. Um, you know, we were all kind of, like I said, we were all struggling early on trying to find out if we were pushing the right buttons and am I muted or am I not muted? So what a lot of teams have done lately is they'll have, um, typically a media relations. Let's, let's say, so like last week, the Browns had Jarvis Landry on. And so while Jarvis was on, we also had someone from the Browns who was on there and they monitored. And, you know, as you guys know, down, you have a little, uh, you can find out who all is on the call and you can raise your hand virtually and be called on because otherwise if it was just open mic for everybody, it would just be a field day. And as Andrew said, we'd all be stepping on each other and interrupting each other. So um, we've all kind of had to, to work out kind of the, you know, just the, 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 the polite aspect of it and, um, and making sure that you make sure your virtual hand is raised as often as possible. If you've got questions to ask. So if switching gears from the current pandemic, you're, Twitter profile picture is you and Michael Jordan. And after the last dance, I assume you watched it. Do you think the media was portrayed completely fair? Obviously some of it was really bad, but when it came to them picking on him, picking on Michael or picking on the media, picking on Michael, on Michael. Yeah. You know, listen, you got to remember that Michael had the final say pretty much in everything that went into that documentary. Right. So, he made sure that whatever story was out there, whether it was about, you know, him going into baseball or the gambling accusations or his father's murder or his reasons for retiring and then unretiring, you know, he was going to control that narrative. So I thought he was treated very fairly. I think what was good, there were many good things about it. And let's be honest, guys, thank God we had it, right? Yeah. What else are we going to watch over those? <laughs> it really filled a sports void for all of us. So, but kind of what tickled me about it, you guys, and being as young as you are, and then I have a 22-year-old son, I was glad that a younger generation got to appreciate who Michael was and what he was as a player and as a competitor. And I think, especially for all of us in Northeast Ohio who are continually, you know, making our case for whether or not we feel Le- LeBron is the GOAT or not, I think it was good for, for the younger generation to, to really see what Michael was about. And to see what those Bulls teams were about. I mean, you know, we've all seen great teams over the years, but I would put those, both of those Bulls teams that that repeated up against any I've seen in all my years of watching sports and covering sports. So, yeah, I think I really enjoyed it. And and to to, to answer your question, I, I do think Michael was treated very fairly in it. What? So you got you had the pleasure of covering Michael Jordan and and. What what were your first impressions of of him? When, whether it was I, I'm not sure how now your Twitter picture is you kind of sitting in the background, but uh, when he walked in or you guys were all clumped together, I'm assuming he was huddled by the media. But but what were your first impressions of him? Well, my first impressions were you know obviously to revere him as a player. And I, I remember um, early on in his pro career, um, I was fortunate enough to be at the early game, an early game that he was at Madison Square Garden and scored 50 points as a rookie against the Knicks. So I think Tyler initially 
looked at him and said, wow, this guy is going to be something. And then sure enough, he turned out to be everything and more that we, that we kind of predicted, much like LeBron, right? So um, in terms of him personally, he was always very accommodating with the media. I think you guys saw a little bit of that uh, during the documentary where, you know, Michael would sit and, and basically hold court sometimes in the locker room, sometimes in the hallway outside. And he was always good with the media. I mean, he knew how to make the media work for him, right? So he knew how to cut off a question, how to kind of disarm a very difficult question. And as you guys have seen over the years, LeBron has kind of found this uh, a similar way to kind of make the media work for him. So I think what struck me too, guys, and they showed a little bit of this with Michael was, there was part of me that always almost felt bad for him in that he was constantly surrounded by people. I mean, it was, it was very difficult for him just to operate as a normal human being because he's really not a normal human being, right? So, so just the idea of, of going out to a restaurant and having a meal with your family and some of the kind of the, the most basic things that we kind of take for granted, you know, Michael didn't, didn't really get to, you know, didn't get a chance to, to have that kind of privacy. So um, part of me always felt a little bad for him that that part of his life was kind of, kind of taken away. Now, don't get me wrong. On the other side of that, when you're a multi-billionaire and you have the the adoration of the global sports world, there's there's going to be a price to pay for that. So um, I always I tell you what though, Tyler, I I always respected him. I always thought he treated the media fairly. And from a very selfish standpoint, it's not that that's all I care about, but that's a big part of my job and being able to do my job well. And he was always very good with us. Uh, now you you are a, a basketball coach, as we were talking about before. We we uh, started recording, and uh, so did you. Do you take any of the lessons you learned from covering players like Michael Jordan and, and uh, like use that when you're coaching? You better believe it, and and vice versa. I mean, some of the stuff that I learned coaching the girls at Westlake for the last couple of years are applicable to my job as a sports writer. I think the thing, Andrew, that um, has been interesting for me is that, um, especially being a coach, it's giving me, and listen, I coached my son all the way up until he was in high school. And then I joined the Westlake boys program for five years as a volunteer. But what it's given me is an appreciation for the coaches that do it at an even higher level, right? The guys that are successful in college and the pros. And it's, listen, it's not, believe it or not, it's not that different from coaching the girls volleyball team at Fairview Park as it is to coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers. And when I say that, I mean, it's always about building relationships within the team, right? And it's trying to push athletes to get the most out of them. So I think that's the one thing that, that coaching has done for me. It's given me a greater appreciation for a lot of the people that I cover. And you can probably make that connection, like you said, from, you know, there's no, there's really no difference than be coaching in the pros or coaching in high school. And do you think that, Tom, that, pretty much you can gather what you have learned and your knowledge from coaching. And do you think that might hold that better respect and maybe hold off or give you the green light on some questions or conversations with the coaches? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Tyler. It, yeah, it has. It's allowed me to kind of sit back and, and maybe analyze things a little bit differently. So um, for instance, uh, something that may have, happened to me with a, whether it was an interaction with a, an official or a fellow coach or one of my players, 
then when something would happen to say like Terry Francona and the Indians, I can relate to that on a different level than I would as just a sports writer because I am also a coach. So that may give me, excuse me, a little bit of insight and maybe a new way of asking a question of Terry Francona because I have I have a relatable experience to that, right? And I can say to him, hey, you know, uh, Tito, when you were dealing with Carlos Carrasco and you told him, you know, X, Y, and Z, it just, it kind of, um, we find a commonality, right? And we're able then to kind of share those experiences with each other. And I think there's been times where I've, I've asked kind of, I've asked questions where coaches or players have kind of looked at me and said, well, that's an inter- interesting perspective because I'm coming at them from a different place than just a normal sports writer, you know, hungry for a story or hungry for a quote. Now, you mentioned asking different kind of questions from different perspectives. You covered the Olympics as well. And there's so many journalists there because, I mean, obviously it's every country. It's a lot of countries there. So, like, do do you try and ask different questions to try and stand out from all the different media outlets at the Olympics? Um, That's a good question. I don't necessarily think I try to stand out. I just I try to ask, you know, the questions that are that are are pertinent to whatever my assignment might be. Um, I always try to be respectful of the athlete or the coach, you know, when asking a question. So it's not as much about standing out as it is um, doing the job professionally to number one, serve my readers, right? And and to serve the AP wire and my bosses. And then also just to be respectful of, of the, like I said, of the athlete or of the coach. you know, there's there's times where you have to ask tough questions, and whether that's um, at an Indians news conference or at the Barcelona Olympics, you know, you've got to be willing to ask people tough questions in tough situations, and so that's always a part of it. And yeah, I I was really lucky, you guys. I you know I've been super blessed and was able to cover ten Olympics, and I I'm not sure I'm ever going to cover another one only because we're not even sure we're going to ever have it. <laughs> so I feel. Um, I feel really blessed that I've been able to do that. And what's been interesting as well, you guys, just from another standpoint, um, at the Olympics, the uh, the dynamic between athletes and the media has always been very different than it is here in the U.S. So after a game in the Olympics, you have what's called a mixed zone. So players would come off the court and just kind of walk a gauntlet on their way to the locker room. And that's only that's the only media access that there is. There's no walking into the locker room and standing in front of LeBron James for 10 minutes like we do here in the U.S. So what's been interesting to me as we look forward to the new normalcy, whatever that is, is that how many of some of those things that I've experienced at the Olympics we may have now here in the United States. Could you feel that, you know, could you feel that there was a difference between uh, Tom Withers in his first Olympics and Tom Withers in his 10th? (laughs) Oh yeah, very much so. Tom Withers in his first Olympics was kind of scared to death at times. I mean, um, I was really lucky, you guys. My very first assignment was the Dream Team. That was my first Olympics assignment in 1992. So, I mean, I, there were t- I was just completely overwhelmed. I mean, you can imagine, you know, I'm around, you know, Michael and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley and all those guys on a day-to-day basis. I'll tell you this, it, it forced me to kind of to kind of grow up fast, if you will, right? I was really thrown into the deep end of the pool. So um, I always felt like, wow, 
if you're going to start with the dream team, man, it's all going to be down. But I've been, I've been lucky. I've gotten some really good assignments over the year, over the years, excuse me. I covered um, a women's softball at two Olympics and the U S team was always very strong. And so I was able to um, cover a sport that I've always respected, which is softball. Well, while it's not baseball, there's so many similarities. And then um, just by chance, they gave me the sliding sports at the winter Olympics. And so I covered bobsled skeleton and luge and gained a, a whole new appreciation. You know, the, the difficulty of that sport, how hard those people train, how much technology is a part of it. Um, the speed. I mean, you can't even, you guys, I'm sure have watched, you know, two man and two woman and four man and four woman bobsled over the years until you're there at the track and you see that thing go by at 80 miles an hour, you have TV does it no justice whatsoever. So um, again, I've been uh, really lucky to have a great run at the Olympics. You, you had a, you had an interesting, speaking of the, uh, the sliding sports in the winter Olympics, now in the Sochi at the Sochi Games, you had an interesting experience. Could could getting what was it getting in or something with accommodations? Could you tell us the story about that? Well, I've had interesting experiences at pretty much every Olympics because you know sometimes you're going to um, countries that either aren't prepared or are over prepared or are still putting together hotel rooms um, as checking in, and that's kind of what happened in Sochi. Um, so they built uh, essentially a ski resort town out of nothing. And because Vladimir Putin can do some, something like that, they pulled it off. The problem was is that they didn't get all the construction done in time. So we literally got there. And as I checked into my hotel room, or I guess it was a hotel, yeah, essentially a hotel um, in Sochi, I mean, there were still workers in my room, you know, putting in fixtures and making sure the electricity was turned on and all those kinds of things. So um, I would, I would compare it to like a movie set. It would all look really good from the outside, but once you got inside the wall and saw the infrastructure, there wasn't a whole lot there. So, um, and again, almost every Olympics that I've gone to, I've had those kinds of experiences only because it, as Andrew said before, I mean, you have, thousands of journalists from around the world, right? And all of them have their own specific needs. And um, most countries that we were able to go to were pretty well prepared. But in the case of Russia, they still needed a little bit of time before we got there. Was Russia like the worst, like what's the worst and best experience you had at an Olympics? Um, that's interesting. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, Barcelona was was really something because of my assignment and because Barcelona is such a beautiful city, um, Lillehammer, Norway was also beautiful, even though it was covered under about six feet of snow while, while I was there, um, still just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, really enjoyed that. I was lucky enough to cover speed skating back then. And there were some, there were some big stories back then. There was an American named Dan Jansen who had a tremendous story where he was, um, basically skating for his sister who had died and, um, he had fallen in Calgary and his whole story was the redemption of getting back on the ice. He ended up winning a gold medal, um, just a, a real heartwarming, you know, moving kind of story. Um, as far as the worst, um, boy, there were some bad bus rides in Brazil where we did, we had a long, you know, bus trips back from, you know, practices and things like that. And 
the air conditioning didn't work on the bus and it was 110 degrees. And I won't, I won't bore you with all the, the details of uh, media members being inconvenienced, but so let's just say that there were some times that um, I'd rather be any place in the world than sitting on a bus in Rio de Janeiro. So traveling, uh, traveling from Rio back to Cleveland. So you've got the three sports. You're a very busy guy. I mean, there, there aren't many times where you can sit back and relax, but, um, <laughs> but, but now, now you have the opportunity to do so just a little bit. Yep. But what yep. do you think when, when you think of Cleveland, incredible sports town, obviously. How do you start to keep balance all the sports you cover when one team is struggling and the other gotcha. team is on top? So as far as like, because of the company that I work for guys, um, you know, it's always about prioritizing what's the best story, right? And in a season where the Browns are going to make history as, you know, the second team to go 0 and 16, that's a big story. I mean, it would be the equivalent of that would be if they were making their first playoff appearance since 2002. Right. So on a daily basis, Tyler, it just comes down to what is the best story and what needs to be covered on that day. Um, I'll give you guys, you know, a snapshot of tomorrow, for instance, we're going to get Baker Mayfield on a zoom call. So my priority tomorrow is to make sure I'm on that zoom call with Baker Mayfield. You know, we've got a lot of ground to cover with him, right? We haven't talked to him since the end of the season. They've had a coaching change. They've had a front office change. We've gone through a draft. We've gone through free agency. He's gone down to Texas and invited some of his teammates down to do workouts with. So, you know, my job tomorrow as the AP writer in Cleveland would be to get on that Zoom call with Baker, see what he has to say, and put a story together based on whatever he says. Also keeping in mind that there might be a national angle that I need to cover for the AP. So just a little while ago, before I got on with you guys, I checked in with our AP national writers in New York and said, hey, I'm going to have Baker on the phone tomorrow. Is there anything you guys want me to ask him? Because, you know, they may be trying to find out, you know, what are what are Baker's worries about, you know, potentially training camps opening up? Um, you know, is he confident that all the, the safety and, and health precautions are going to be put in place? Things like that. So, um, yeah, for me, Tyler, it just comes down to, yeah, I'm always juggling three balls, right? And typically one of them is on fire. So I got to kind of make sure that I just, I, like you said, I have that balance. Um, really becomes difficult during those parts of the year when you have three sports going at once. And, you know, that's potentially what I'm facing here coming up soon, where if baseball decides to ramp up and the NBA gets going again and, you know, NFL training camps are right around the corner. So there's going to be situations where, I'm going to have all three teams going at once. And in a situation like that, I also have freelancers that I use here in the Cleveland area that work for me, typically on a per assignment basis. So I have a, a pool of freelancers and I'll give those guys a call and say, hey, I got to be out at the Browns tomorrow because camp is opening up. Can one of you ha handle the Cavs availability? Or um, I'll have two guys covering an Indians game for me because I've got something going on with the Browns or the Cavs or I have a day off. So you you mentioned that that delegating is such a great uh, that delegating is just such a such another Big aspect of, of the my job. job and and how yeah. how do you balance that is it just something that comes natural where you just have to say hey you've got this assignment I got to be out exactly um, and that runs you know there there's difficult times um, in that when 
let's say I have two freelancers at an Indians game and there's a no hitter going on in the fifth inning. Well, because of AP policy, I got to get in the car and get down to progressive field because potentially we could have some history. And I can't tell you guys how many times I've been on I-90 and somebody has gotten a hit to break it up. There's only been a couple of times where I've made it all the way down to the ballpark. Um, because as you know, we still, we still have not had an Indians pitcher throw a no hitter at progressive field. It hasn't happened yet. So, and it's bound to, and I'm sure that day is, is not too far away. So yeah, Tyler, again, it just comes down to, um, you know, planning number one, right. Um, having the confidence in uh, the freelancers that I hire to do a good job, um, making sure that they're taken care of as well, you know, that, they're, that the AP's, you know, paying them, um, that they're comfortable in the job that they do. And um, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a daily juggling act. It really is. Has it ever been hard to, I, you know, I mean, your son's a Cleveland fan. I mean, you're a Cleveland fan, I assume. It, has it ever been hard to like put aside your fandom, like when, like, say, an NBA Finals is going on or a World Series is going on? Yeah, sure. I mean, part of me always is going to be rooting for the. I mean, always. I'll put it this way: I'm always rooting for my story. I try to tell people that all the time, um, because in this business, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of deadline pressure. So if you guys are watching a ball game. You're watching game seven of the 2016 World Series, right? Rajay Davis hits an unbelievable home run. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I've just seen the greatest home run hit in Indians history. We're only in a tie game. It really didn't mean much other than tying the game, right? So then I'm having to, sh to shift my, my mental game as to, okay, that's going to have to be something I'm going to have to write here at some point, or am I going to have to be writing about the heartbreak of the Indians losing again? And unfortunately, that's what happened again. So as far as like, I always got to follow my head, but trust me in the, in the deep reaches of my heart, I'm always pulling for the Cleveland teams. My dad raised my, my brother and I to be Indians and Browns fans. Never really was a Cavaliers fan. We lived all over the country. Um, so, you know, I, I always want to see them do well. And then not only that, you know, I've become, very good friends with people that work with the Indians and the Browns and the Cavaliers, you know, Tyler's dad and I are good friends. We go way back. And so there's a lot of people that are connected to the teams that I want to see. I want to have those teams have success for those people. I mean, their lives, you know, their lives are wrapped around the Indians and their success and how they do. So I want that for them as well. But from a selfish standpoint though, I've got to be true to myself and my job. And that's to make sure that I'm telling the most accurate, balanced story for the Associated Press and its readers. One more question before before we wrap up, but I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the Rajay Davis home run because that's just such a great example of a great moment in, 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 a, in a storied game in such a revered series. And in situations like that, is the use of Twitter, is that probably the best <laughs> place to display the emotion or what you're feeling right now because in that situation we're in the bottom of the eighth inning and it's just tied you can't save anything until it is being yeah. published late later after the games after the games end so is that right. where you implement twitter to get yeah. out what you're feeling 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can just, you know, and to be honest with you, because you're on, you're on deadline and there's no time, Tyler, like you said, it's a, it's a matter of putting out just a, a quick tweet, just to let everybody know that you're as blown away as they are. Right. But then it's gotta be right back to your job. So in fact, people have asked me that there's times where I get, I have to get so zeroed in on my job that, you know, social media just has to, has to wait. Right. Um, I can't worry about, you know, tweeting about some play in the eighth inning. If um, there are six outs to go to the, in the game and I still have not a blank screen, but I still got a story to tell. So um, that's one of the good and bad things about social media, because there is that immediacy, right? There is that gratification. There is that reaction that you can make. But um, in my business, though, you know, the story has to come first. So um, like I said, it can be like a quick, can you believe that that just happened? And then it's right back to what my job has to be. Well, he's rooting for your story. For those who don't know, a true professional <laughs> answer by a true professional. Tom Withers, thanks for joining us and hope everything's going well with you and uh, your 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 new work and everything that's going on with you at the Associated Press. So thanks again, Tom Withers, for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So that was Tom Withers, Associated Press sports writer in the Cleveland area and beyond. And he had a lot of things to say, and we really appreciate him coming on. So that concludes our show. Again, a great interview with Tom Withers of the Associated Press. He's one of the best in the business. You can go and follow him on Twitter at TWithersAP, and he covers all things Indians, Browns, Cavaliers, and as he quotes, whatever else in a championship city once again. So thanks to Tom Withers for joining us for Andrew St. John. I'm Tyler Damerick saying Tyler's World out and we hope you're staying safe.